if you go to Silicon Valley and, uh, you know, any environment in which, you know, there's a entrepreneurial culture, uh, you know, failure is not necessarily uh, frowned upon. Uh, it can be that, uh, okay, so you just learned a very expensive lesson and, uh, you know, I can give you a second chance or, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's not, um, you know, people watch you. And uh, ultimately, they place their bets on people as opposed to companies. That's that's great. I'm Si Hong Peng, and I'm a host for your Mindpreneur podcast show, on which I interview successful entrepreneurs to explore their entrepreneurial journey. Uh, their emotional roller coasters and how they overcome some of the obstacles in their building their successful business. Mm -hmm. And uh, hopefully I can inspire more people to think like an entrepreneur, uh, whether they're in corporate Canada or in, you know, looking to start their own adventure. So joining me today is a very well accomplished uh, businessman, Alex Savenka. So Alex's vision turned new tracks into the world leader in digital safety and productivity systems for underground hard rock mines. Alex has been developing Internet of Things solutions since 2001 with a focus on optimizing mine operations for the past 10 years. He has an extensive understanding of the global mining industry and has personally visited hundreds of underground mines on all continents. His vision to eliminate the digital divide between open pits and underground operations to improve safety and productivity by empowering the mines management teams with real-time data about the environment, people, and the machines. Under his leadership, Nutrax has deployed systems in 100-plus mines around the world, and the company is going really fast. So welcome, uh, Alex. I'll let you introduce to our audience. Okay, so yeah, I'm Alex uh, Cervenka. I'm the founder and CEO of uh, Nutrax. I think your, your intro was uh, a good summary, I guess, of where we, we, we stand today. I mean, I'd just clarify that vision where over the past few years, we've kind of clarified the, you know, new tracks role in the ecosystem of uh, technology suppliers to the, to the, uh, the mining industry, where although everything you said there is true nowadays, we really uh, are more specific on our vision, uh, where, you know, our goal is to be the world leader in wireless, uh, IOT for underground hard rock mines and the preferred source of big data for AI. So it's kind of like, you know, as we as we learned about the entire ecosystem of uh, suppliers, and it was important for us to, you know, be number one in whatever we did, we kind of carved out that role for the company. Perfect. That's a very niche uh, market right mm -hmm. now in the mining business. So recently, Nutrax was uh, acquired by Senvik, mm -hmm. one of the largest mining equipment manufacturers in the world. Uh, how much did you sell it for? Well, that's uh, confidential information, unfortunately, but uh, I think it was a you know, perfect fit, quite frankly. You know, they're really focused on underground hard rock mines and 100% uh, of our portfolio was of interest to them. So uh, it was a good transaction, I think, for, for both parties and we're, I'm personally very happy. So are all the other stakeholders involved. So. Why do you think uh, they eyed on Nutrax? Why Senebeck was so interested in Nutrax? 
Well, um, like us, uh, they they believe that the uh, industry is on the cusp of, uh, you know, really the mining technology uh, golden age. So uh, although the the mining industry, uh, well, and by the way, all my comments are more specific to underground hard rock. Yeah. So when I talk about the mining industry, I'm actually talking about underground hard rock mines. Yeah. So okay, right. mechanized mainly. And uh, so we believe that the, the industry is, um, you know, in the early, early adopter phase when it comes to digitalization, automation, uh, robotics and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, as you pointed out, Nutrax has had some some spectacular growth these past few years. And this is really the partnership with Sandvik is the, the what we believe the best way to continue and succeed at a high growth rate for the next uh, few years. Uh, they, Sandvik, um, you know, they also acquired the artisan vehicles in terms of evolving their offering to include more electric uh, equipment. And in the case of new tracks, it's to complete the uh, portfolio of automation solutions uh, they have. So now together, we really have what we believe is the most comprehensive a portfolio of uh, solutions for uh, digitalization and process optimization. Excellent. That's. Uh, I think there is a perfect fit in there. Uh, I recently made a visit to Sandvik factory in Finland, and I can see they're pushing really hard on digitalization and mm -hmm. utilizing data to provide values to mm -hmm. our clients. So, and. Why do you sell? Because Nutrax has been growing really fast. According to Deloitte's report, you are one of the uh, 2018 Technology Fast 500 companies. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, you are ranked at 166 mm -hmm. in North America. And you grew 600% between 2014 and 2017. Mm -hmm. So apparently, Nutrax was on a very health trajectory in terms of growth. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to sell? Well, um... You know, listen, there's personal reasons, but like one of the things that's uh, personal to me, and I was uh, explaining this to some people, when I was a younger boy, I was a lifeguard. And one of my nightmares was to have a, a, a kid drown on my watch. Okay, because I, I know people, actually, I know one person that someone drowned on their watch and it just ruins your life, right? I mean, you, you personally, feel, you never forgive yourself for that kind of stuff. And as the new tracks has grown quickly, and also, by the way, something of interest, Sandvik, is that we are global. So we're, you know, we're doing projects all over the place, good fit for them. Right. But it's my response, my number one responsibility is to take care of our employees and make sure that we have the world-class standards in terms of safety and security when they go to sites, travel all over the place. And uh, quite frankly, I, I think that uh, this deal with Sandvik enabling us to copy-paste a lot of their uh, best practices in the you know, EHS in general, uh, it's going to give me a peace of mind. So uh, I'd say that, that that's a big uh, plus uh, from uh, my personal uh, perspective. Uh, and then uh, the, the way I summarize it is that's also due to, I guess, early experiences as an entrepreneur. Uh, I know how uh, it, basically it's a lot more fun to be number one. Okay. And I think right now we've been number one as a, you know, in the early market. In wireless IoT and all this, uh, you know, uh, big data and applying uh, ML and all that stuff. But if we want to remain number one, as the landscape is becoming increasingly competitive 
and the market is really, you know, the market itself, we believe is just growing very fast. This is the way to stay number one. Yeah, to scale fast. Okay. Scale fast, but remain number one. Okay, I hear you. That makes perfect sense. And so before we get into our growth story, uh, let's talk about the birth of new mm -hmm. tracks. So when did you start new tracks? 2002? Well, uh, this company is uh, was founded in 2008. Right, okay. July 21st, 2008. Yeah, I believe that's it. To be yeah. quite frank, I don't remember I think exactly. legally that's the yeah. dates of incorporation. But prior to that, there was a few uh, failed uh, business plans and, uh, you know, companies. So I guess, um, you know, it's certainly not been an easy, easy journey for me since, uh, you know, graduated in, uh, in 2001 from uh, McGill University in electrical engineering. Right. But so in, um, you know, 2008, we started to, you know, build a company focused on the uh, mining industry. Right. And uh, it's funny because it started with the global financial crisis. Perfect so timing. initially it really sounded like a, you know, a bad move, but we persisted. And uh, fortunately, it bounced back relatively fast. Uh, you know, there was a lot of... Um, you know, we tried different, uh, both business models, different types of solutions, all that stuff. So, I mean, you know, and you mentioned in your introduction that I personally visited, you know, over the years, ultimately hundreds of, uh, you know, mines, making sure we, we better understood the, the, you know, the market bottom line. What did people want? What were the constraints? Uh, why did all, you know, there's, it's a, you know, it's a, a cemetery of failed technology projects, right? Underground hard rock mines. Right. So trying to learn from past, uh, you know, failed uh, digitalization attempts. And um, and then really, I'd say it really took off uh, five years ago when uh, Jollymont, which is, uh, you know, our private equity investor, uh, injected funds. And you mentioned the importance of being mentored. Well, you know, so they, they have, uh, you know, quite a team that... Uh, helped us optimize our business plan and uh, execute on achieving you know, total global domination of our target niche market. Perfect. That's uh, Before we jump into that, I want to explore a little bit about your prior experience with uh, Nutrax. So you, said, you mentioned there were some failed experiences mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to you know entrepreneurial journey. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, I mean, when I was at university, uh, my first business plan was in the 1999. Uh, and um, basically, it was a, a, a tracking system for uh, children. So to enable parents to, to keep an eye on their kids when oh, they leave okay. home. Right, right. Uh, and it was all the, you know, back then, it was still a challenge to uh, keep tracking kids indoors right so it's not 1999 gps was fairly young it was yeah. three years old yeah so the trend back then was uh you know with the um with the cell phones becoming increasingly popular right right there was uh, this new uh regulation in the u.s called the e911 that were forcing cellular network operators to uh, enhance their networks to locate, locate. their subscribers I see, because I people see. were calling from cell phones saying right. i'm dying please come and help right, and right. the, the you know, 911 well where are you so right. there was all these new technologies being deployed to be able to locate people uh, in indoor environments right and that was kind of like 
our business plan was a, a uh, uh, leveraging these kinds of uh, technologies to uh, have continuous tracking of kids. So your clients are the carriers or are the parents? No, that was a uh, you know to consumers, a business oh, consumers. consumer a business okay. model. But the point is that that never took off. But I mean, we had a business plan, went around, tried to raise uh, you know money to execute that business plan, and one of the feedback we had at that point was that uh, there was not a fit between the team. So we were a bunch of electrical engineers and the opportunity, which people said, that's a great idea, but it's not a technical challenge. It's really a marketing challenge. Right. And you guys are a bunch of engineers. So there's not a, you know, there's not a match between your, your venture and the team you're bringing at the table. Gotcha. We never managed to raise any, any funding. And then, you know, so it's uh, then we ended up being a, doing a whole bunch of projects in the transport industry, um, you know, but it was always projects. It's never things that actually took off. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, and at some point, obviously, the, whoever had injected money got fed up, pulled the plug. And so, so you need to that keep, was uh, you know. between uh, 2001 and 2008. In seven years, you were just uh, trying different things as a project, as a yeah, hobby. Multiple, so multiple failures. And, uh, you know, that's it. But so what, what did you learn from that experience? The seven year? Never, ever give up. Uh, that that's it. So keep cool. keep going. That's the number one. Never yeah, give up. I think uh, you know perseverance is uh, maybe the only quality I'll, I'll give myself. So you know, despite all the the setbacks and uh, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, investors pulling the plug or whatever right. on the, these sort of things. So you that, got funding from investors even early on. Uh huh. So that's probably one of the. Uh, learnings you got from that too so how to raise fund yes so going out there you know seeing what um, uh, you know what was required to attract uh, you know investors but actually one thing i would say to whoever wants to, to go in business is uh, you, you better be good in sales right so right. Uh, whatever idea you have uh, you know raising funding is um, is an option but the best source of funding is sales right totally agreed so it, it sounds like you had intrinsic interest in business uh, mm -hmm. even while you were in university so it didn't come to you as a surprise when you look back at your business journey that mm -hmm. you actually started a business so what drew you to mining because i took a snapshot of your website back in uh, 2008 Mm -hmm. And on the website, you listed your applications of your two technologies. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, border security, battlefield, mm -hmm. and then some other uh, supply chain applications. Mm -hmm. And one of them is underground mining applications. Mm -hmm. So what, what uh, kind of moved you to shift your focus to mining? Well, at some point, we, we came failed experiences. You know, at some point, we came to the uh, you know, conclusion that uh, you know, the, the, the whole principle that the only viable business strategy for a you know small high-tech business-to-business company is to pick one niche market and then have a credible business plan to dominate that niche globally. Right. And effectively, all of that means is that as a small company, you have limited amount of resources and your best bet is to focus all those resources on one point right. to break in. Right. 
And, uh, you know, after, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, just overall market analysis, uh, we felt that that was the, uh, the industry that we should be focusing on. Okay, I see. So you did your market research and found out that mine. Well, you know, I mean, you got limited. It's not like we hired the PricewaterhouseCoopers or Deloitte <laughs> to do a market analysis. Right, right. But uh, yeah, with whatever means we had, uh, that's uh, the conclusion we, we came to. Now, before two, uh, did you get married before 2008? Uh, no, I got married in 2009. Oh, 2009. Wow. Okay. I was wondering if you were married and you were not making profits in seven years, how would your wife would say? Yeah, well, that? yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, listen, you, you, you find uh, always a way to survive, right? Right, so. right. So... In 2008, you registered two companies. One is called Gestion Nutrax Inc. And mm -hmm. then one is called Nutrax Holdings Inc. Mm -hmm. Why two corporates? Why? I mean, uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, you know, it's uh, our, uh, our main shareholder that uh, decided to structure it uh, that way. Um, so you know, I think there are some there are some legal you know benefits, but quite frankly, anybody that wants to start a business, uh, they obviously need to hire a, a lawyer and make sure that the the, the legal structure is uh, is appropriate. And if it's any sort of uh, manufacturing uh, business where you have IP, you probably want to have an incorporated company. It's not it depends what you want to okay. do, but good yeah. point. Yeah. So even after you failed. Uh, those business experiences, there mm -hmm. were still investors that were sticking with you to invest when you started. Well, I mean, the in the, you know, if you go to Silicon Valley and, uh, you know, any environment in which, you know, there's a entrepreneurial culture, uh, you know, failure is not necessarily frowned upon. Uh, it can be that, uh, okay, so you just learned a very expensive lesson. And, uh, you know, I can give you a second chance or, you know, that kind of stuff so it's not um, you know people watch you and uh, ultimately they place their bets on people as opposed to companies that's that's great to know because i think that's a fundamental uh, mindset shift mm -hmm. towards failures even in corporate environment well, i think we should encourage that kind of mindset uh, to mm -hmm. encourage people to make mistakes and celebrate mistakes and uh, see what we can come up with mm -hmm. with the lessons learned that's a great point. So you had one partner when you founded the company or how many partners? Did you yeah. Have? So the Robert Bruyette yeah. is our main shareholder right. and the co-founder was Vincent Cassis. Oh, okay. I see. So three co-founders. Yeah, including basically. You. Right. And actually, and I think there may have been a fourth that was Jean-Pierre Gibault. Uh, that was uh, bought back by uh, Robert Bouillet. Oh, okay, I on. see. What is the equity division like? Uh, do you hold a majority or? No, no. I mean, we had, the, again, the people to put in money to keep growing the business. Okay, I see. Yeah. And what was your role back then when you founded the company uh, in 2008? Well, I mean, uh, you know, the role was to lead the uh, growth of the business, right? So, uh, I mean, as president of the company, uh, you know, it's a pretty uh, traditional role for a president to, you know, take the reins and make sure the business number one survives 
and then thrives. Okay, excellent. So you apparently you got to go to your customers and sell your products. Mm -hmm. What were you selling back then? Well, um, you know, it's uh, it always comes down to the, the you know the expertise that we developed over the years was always related to you know wireless uh, sensor networks. Right. So it's monitoring systems, right? Okay. Now the buzzword is uh, digitalization. But, uh, you know, it used to be called wireless sensor networks. Okay. Yeah, that's your mesh ad hoc uh, network nodes, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's part of uh, our solution, yeah. Okay. And were you always interested in selling or good at the selling or you got to work out of your comfort zone to, to face a client and say, hey, we have a solution that mm -hmm. uh, you should try out? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, most engineers don't, miss, it's not always their comfort zone to sell. Right. But, uh, you know, for me in 2011 or 2012 is when uh, uh, we were selected by a program here in Quebec called uh, Croissance Québec Techno. Uh, it's, they identify a few uh, high potential uh, high tech companies and uh, we end up being coached among other things, by the MIT and all oh, that. Oh, I see. And we, we connected with um, uh, one of the the persons at the MIT Entrepreneurship Development Program. That Who's was on your board right now? Right? By advisor, oh, shareholder, advisors. but Ken Morse. Yeah. 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 Yes. That really coached both me and our sales team on uh, sales, complex sales. Right. And that was really, a you know, Again, uh, you know, for when we talk about from the moment where things started to take off, right? Uh, you know, talking, you're talking about mentors and all that. I mean, these are people that certainly helped us a lot to grow uh, and uh, sharpen our skills in terms of sales. So, what are some of the lessons that you can probably share from that experience with our audience in terms of a sales technique, or even just the emotional? How do you walk out of your comfort zone? Because typically. Technical personnel are, like you said, not feeling comfortable. Well, quite frankly, I would say that if you can't sell, don't don't even try to start a business. So, if you want to start a business, make sure that you uh, you you know <laughs> you, you know you gotta. Okay. Listen, so, what, what selling. Your... If, you, if you, there's no sales, there's no business. Totally understood. Uh, what what was your elevator pitch back then? Give us a thirty second pitch. Well, I mean, it's always been the, uh, you know, the, the, the same thing where ultimately we have a system that enables you to see what's happening in real time in your mind. Right. So, uh, you know, today men managers do that, you know, they're blind and we help them to see. Okay. Excellent. That's a great uh, selling proposition. I guess my question is that with that contract or, uh, upcoming mining clients, how how did you evolve your team? Because when you founded only four people, but to deliver a big project like that, you got to develop a team. Uh, so how, what were you looking for when you uh, expanded your team? What are mm -hmm. some of the qualifications or traits or what are some of the things that you are looking for? Well, I mean, uh, the, the truth is, is that there was a lot of uh, stumbling along, right? So it, it's not like, uh, you know, from day one, you got a very clear, uh, clear vision. Uh, I'd say the, the most difficult, uh, you know, HR team growing problem we had is uh, initially I was leading all the sales, right? but that's not scalable. 
So sure. how do you grow a sales team? And uh, as you grow internationally, you need to have uh, people that are remote, that you trust, that are competent. Um, so like in our case, we split the world in six, right? Canada, USA, Latin America, Europe, the Middle East, Africa, the former Soviet countries and Asia Pacific. And in each one of those regions, we need, you needed to uh, identify and recruit a strong leader that could lead sales and lead the building of a regional team. Right. And finding and enlisting those people uh, was the most difficult uh, team building uh, challenge. But then again, uh, it was really once our uh, Australian investor came in that uh, they helped us find the first one for Asia Pacific. And uh, then when, when you start, uh, because there was a lot of like failed uh, sales hiring, let's say, um, but once you start gaining traction and attracting good people, then it snowballs because they know other good people. Right, right. And, you know, it's all like, yeah, you know, one or two good persons helps you attract more and more. And then suddenly, like today, you know, we got a real, uh, you know, A team. So, yeah, that's excellent. Again, that reinforces the 60 degree theory. So if you hire a good person, then within 60 uh -huh. degrees, there is another good person that yeah. you're, you could look at. Okay. So, uh, so even from early on, you guys focused really on the design of your marketing presence, like the image you want to project to the market. I was looking at uh, some of your latest designs by Polygraph Studio. Mm -hmm. It looks stunning. So. Did you always have this uh, mindset of, you know, creating this stunning image of new tracks to your clients or, or to the public? No, I mean, uh, you know, I guess uh, it's about four years ago now we, we recruited, uh, you know, our marketing manager, uh, <laughs> you know, Cynthia, that, uh, you know, is really the one that drove a major upgrade to our uh, you know, corporate uh, brand and then everything uh, around it so uh but no that's why I, I'm, I'm glad you say that even before we were pretty good but personally i feel that you know we're an order of magnitude we really switched gears about uh, four years ago uh, very good job cynthia yeah. that's excellent yeah. and so then you you uh laser focused on mining kinds of clients how did you approach them how did we approach them um, you know, uh, it was a lot of uh, cold calling, quite frankly. So, oh, okay. uh, you know, you talk about, you know, being out of your comfort zone when it comes to sales. Right. So, you know, it's very easy. You just need to get used to being rejected. And okay. As long, so... as, as long as you're good, you know, you don't take it personal and, uh, you know, you, you just, you know, call around and you go to different events and you try to get, get early traction and, that's that's cool. That's uh, good to know because uh, a lot of people were when they started out, they were really afraid of rejections, afraid of no from their clients. Uh, it's good to know from you that it's OK. Totally it's not to... it's not more complicated than that. Get used to rejection. <laughs> you can't take the heat. Get off the seat. And how did you differentiate your system from uh, some of your competitors back even back then? Because uh, there's Isaac for uh, tracking or telemetry, and then there's also a mine radio system. I think that were doing some 
collision avoidance or proximity mm-hmm, detection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how did you differentiate new tracks from your competition? Well, um, you know, I think in the, uh, you know, in, in the early days, uh, you know, customers were not happy with uh, whatever was in the marketplace. You know, I, I mentioned the fact that it's a, uh, at least our niche of underground hard rock was a real cemetery of failed, uh, you know, projects. So as soon as you come with a new approach, and this is why I believe that the market is actually quite innovative, is that despite failures, they keep trying. Right. Right. Which is, uh, you know, in my mind, it's a very innovative mindset that you don't quit. You keep trying to fix things. And, uh, you know, we found the people in the mining industry relatively uh, friendly and uh, willing to try. So. Okay, excellent. That's good. And so who was your first major mining client that you closed? The first uh, major client that we closed really Fresnillo in uh, in Mexico. In Mexico. Yeah. So there's an expression in in French, on n'est jamais prophète dans son pays, which what basically that mean? means that uh, in your own country, you're rarely uh, perceived as a, uh, to be quite frank, I don't know how to translate uh, it. Number one. Whoever speaks French and listens to this will understand <laughs> what it means. I wish I could know yeah. a little bit more. But, French. you know, and I think for all the, the Canadian-based, uh, you know, suppliers to the mining industry benefit uh, globally from, uh, you know, there's a lot of great mining technology companies that stemmed out of Canada. Right. So when you're just another one, uh, you benefit from the good reputation of others. Right. And we certainly, uh, you know, benefited from that as well. How did you feel when you actually closed the first major deal in Mexico? Well, uh, of course, I mean, you feel, uh, you know, you feel great. You know, uh, I guess now it, it, it's funny because now, you know, you close million dollar uh, sales and it's like, you know, it barely makes the internal news, <laughs> but, you know, in the, these early days, you know, uh, you, you, even a you know, hundred thousand dollar PO, you're like, you know, you're like really excited. Wow. That's I think a... now, now everybody's waiting for the $10 million PO. And I guess that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, point because I do uh, some stock research and do some stock trading. Exactly the same emotional journey. At the beginning, you made 200 bucks. Yeah, I made 200 bucks. And then later, like you, t- you made 2,000 bucks. Uh, yeah, it's addictive. Bucks. That's why yeah. you want to make uh, more and more all the time. Exactly. Until you reach the new levels. Uh-huh. So uh, when did your business really start to take off? after the first Mexican mm-hmm. client? Well, the the, the, uh, the, the the tipping point, if you want, I, I really feel was when, uh, again, this private equity uh, investor came in in 2014. 2014. That, uh, you know, we kind of switched uh, gears. Okay, so how, walk us through how that helped your growth. Is it well, you mentioned earlier the importance of being, uh, you know, mentored and also just, you know, um, having professional investors kind of uh, changes the way you manage the business. So how, how did you approach those professional investors and convince them that this is a good idea to in, or a business to invest in? Well, I'm, I don't know about investors in, in, uh, in general, but again, in, in my personal case, uh, and I'm sure if you were to uh, ask uh, you know, Jolly Mont in this case, well, they ultimately invest in people. 
Okay. So yes, there's, you know, there needs to be a half decent business plan that right. kind of illustrates that, you know, you're so a what, reasonably intelligent person. But uh, other than that, you know, they have a, a kind of profile of uh, people that they believe, uh, you know, will succeed. Okay, excellent. So basically have that personal connection with them to let them realize the potential of the... Oh, there's the entrepreneur and then there's the team. So, I mean, to be clear, it's not like if you're a one-man band and, uh, you know, you go see them. Okay. Uh, it's maybe not, uh, you know, uh, probably not good enough, you know, but uh, it's both the, the leader, the team, you know, the, the fact that you're at the right place at the right time. Timing is important. So they have their own kind of like analysis of where the industry is going. Right, right. And, uh, you know, they place their bets. Right. Okay. I guess they were really sold on your vision of a digital mining solution empire. Mm -hmm. So what, what were some of the metrics that you measured yourself uh, when you say that's when the tipping point happened and it really took off? What are some, can you give us a sense of uh, size or numbers? Uh, in terms of? In terms of whether market or sales revenue or uh, team members, give us a sense of what, what do you mean when you say uh, that's really when the company experienced that tipping point? I'll put it this way. If you look at that, right, being, uh, you know, on the Deloitte, uh, you know, Fast 15 Canada, 166 in North America. Well, that's the, effectively the period that started with, uh, you know, the, the Jollymont uh, investment. Um, you know, I would say that when you have, uh, you, you know, professional investors that, uh, that come in, they also expect you to achieve, uh, you know, high growth rates, but, right. you know, uh, ultimately I think it's proven that, uh, you know, people that have uh, high aspirations uh, do better. So feel... they certainly help us have a high, uh, uh, you know, high targets, but ultimately we surprised ourselves in many cases. And although the targets may seem ambitious, uh, you know, in some cases yeah. we, you know, mul multiple times actually achieve those. So. Right. Did you did you feel stressed when actually got money from the investors and they actually set the seemingly high targets? Did you feel pressured? Uh, not, you know, uh, I honestly I felt better surrounded. I felt the team was stronger with these guys. Uh, they brought credibility. Right. They brought contacts. Uh, so I'd say my confidence was higher um, and, uh, you know, there's always been uh, pressure, you know, I'm, I think I'm just, I have a very high level of tolerance for <laughs> pressure and risk. I think so that, that uh, was uh, uh, probably built on your failed experience before. Mm -hmm. So just like we talked about emotional tolerance was mm -hmm. much higher. Okay. Yes. That's yes. a good point. Was that about the time you also acquired Isaac? Did you acquire Isaac? Isaac uh, was uh, about two and a half years later. So in uh, towards the uh, you know, Q4 of 2016. Oh, okay. Because they are... And it's, uh, to be clear, it's not all of Isaac. It's the mining division of Isaac. Oh, so okay, Isaac yes. continues to exist, focused on uh, the trucking, highway trucking industry. Uh, we basically uh, absorbed uh, all the mining related activities. But they were, you know, they've been a partner of us for a, for a long time before that. So it was a easy, easy fit. Yeah. So why acquisition? Why not developing your own solution? Because you uh, apparently when you started, you had a 
solution similar to uh, telemetry collection? Uh, well, you know, telemetry, uh, you know, there's a spectrum. Yeah. So we were at the low end of the spectrum. Oh, okay. And uh, Isaac see. is on the high end. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's one thing to know if your uh, ignition is on or off. It's something else to, you know, have access to all the Motor, OEM sensors. Right, right. Uh, oh, okay, because they worked a lot with different uh, OEMs. In the, yeah, it's like if we had, you know, uh, ignition and uh, oil pressure or just basic stuff, like they they have the whole enchilada. So like all the data you can potentially want on a machine, whether it's a drill, loader, truck, right, bolter. Right. Uh, and I think, quite frankly, still today, we're, we're leaps and bounds ahead of the competition on that front. Right, right. So did your advisors or investors actually help make a key decision to acquire? Either yeah, I mean, when, when you have, uh, you know, these, uh, these uh, financial partners, you have the, the you experts know, in the field, the elbow, elbow room to, uh, you know, be more aggressive on uh, whatever strategy makes business sense. Right. And also with the injection of funding, you were financially more well, You need to raise to... additional money to do acquisitions. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. So, but I guess it would be easier at that point because you were seeing uh, great yeah. growth and uh, you saw a fit. So was it the easier process for you to raise the second round? Well, it's always the same thing. The people give you a little bit of money and they see uh, how well you manage. And if they like the way you manage, they'll give you more money. Oh, okay. And then, oh, you're good. Well, they'll give you even more money. I so, uh, you know, it's all about uh, building a track record of. Uh... So now I saw your website listed your board members and advisors, they have a wide, very impressive experience mm -hmm. or expertise in legal, financial, public relations and then uh, mm -hmm. merger and acquisitions. So when did you realize you need these areas of uh, advice or, or uh, help? Well, uh, I've always uh, tried Or you to... had that at the very beginning. Yeah, I've always had a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, advisors or uh, uh, mentors from the, uh, you know, the early days. So it's, uh, no, maybe that's something else I'll, I'll give myself is that I, I don't think I'm a pretentious uh, person. So I, I know I have a lot to learn. And uh, so I've always kind of had several uh, people uh, coach me through all these uh you know, ups and downs, I guess. Yeah. Excellent. And then I guess then, and the next pivotal moment in new tracks development is now you are focusing on uh, extracting value of data. So when did you start to realize that uh, that could be a demand by the uh, market? I would just uh, nuance that where we've been extracting value from data for a while using more analytics. Whereas now our focus is on, you know, the, the way I'd summarize it is that in the past, our focus was on, you know, the mind management is blind. We enable them to see what's happening in the present. And now with everything we're doing in AI, so machine learning, operational research, our goal is to enable the managers to see the future. Right. So if you know that that machine is going to break in you know, two weeks, well, change your plan now. 
So right. So it's the difference between condition-based maintenance and predictive maintenance. Right. So now we're more investing in enabling predictive maintenance, whereas we've been doing condition-based maintenance for a while. Okay. We've been enabling, uh, you know, mines to see when, uh, you know, equipment starts to work, when the drill starts to work at the beginning of the shift, or when the, you know, uh, workers uh, get to an area, whatever. Uh, but then it's okay. Well, based on how things evolve during the shift you can see that you will miss your blast right so what are you going to do about it right right so see, see it's so, uh, extracting value from data is right That's, we've been doing uh, that for a while it's seeing the future to enable you to act now uh, that's a, that's a great point. Actually, I was going to ask you about shorting the control, but I think you touched on that. So how did you persuade mining companies to share data with mm -hmm. you? And ultimately, you are probably going to use data from different operations to mm -hmm. build your machine learning models and to provide insights. How, how did you persuade them? Well, initially, to be uh, quite frank, it was almost the mining companies uh, pushing us to do that. Oh, really? That's, okay. uh, and... Um, to be you know, to be very uh, clear, uh, we uh, number one, uh, you know, the mining companies own the data. We don't own the data. The right. mining companies own the data, and um, you know, we uh, in some part of strategic agreements with customers, we uh, get a uh, a license to take a copy of data the, that's anonymized right. and you know. All the data security around oh, that. Oh, okay. I so see. I mean, so it just, but just to be clear, the customer always owns the data. Right. Right. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of value for them to have Utrax play a role of a a kind of a central repository to create a, a global industry perspective. Because although they may have uh, you know data about uh, I don't know twenty pieces of equipment of a certain model. We may have uh, samples from 400. Right. So we really so have a, a unique perspective database. on the global mining industry. Right. Same thing with, um, you know, even a, a one mining company might only have a one block cave. Right. So in terms of having uh, mines that have a similar, similar mining methods. Yeah. So, anyways, okay. there's, there's a. Uh, so when did you learn that Sandvik was uh, going to acquire you? Well, it's a bit like if I ask you when when do you know when did you know that your wife was gonna marry you? So you know you met her, right? <laughs> you you uh, at some point you say, hey, I like her, and then you dated, and then uh, one day you said, you know what? I think it'd be good to okay, so it's, spend uh, the rest a, of her life together. So there is so, a lengthy preceding process. Yeah, absolutely. That. So how how was it like when you learned on the day or on the night that the deal was gonna close? Walk us through the emotions in your mind. Um, Did you jump in the kitchen or how 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 were you feeling? No, to be to be uh, quite frank, it, it's been a gradual evolution. It, it's not like there was a, a moment. Oh, okay. So. Uh, Again, we just believe it's the right business move. Uh, you know, the, the marketplace evolves, technology space evolves. And, um, you know, it's a bit like the Isaac acquisition was the right business move. Right now, that was the right business move to ensure we remain number one in the, that space. And for me, what's, you know, the most important is to remain number one. Okay, Because Perfect. 
it's too and, painful to be number two or number three. <laughs> number so one I is guess fun. To, yeah. to conclude, what are some of the lessons that you have drawn from the entire uh, entrepreneurial journey that you can share with our audience? Uh, well, to revert back what we said is sales. If you yeah. want to start your business, you better uh, sharpen your sales skills. Right. And sales is not bad. I mean, sales is just convincing people. If you got such a great idea, uh, you know, well, convince people to pay for it. And if you can't convince people to pay for it, you better burst your bubble early. Uh -huh. right. But then again, once your bubbles burst, well, maybe you'll have another great idea. Okay. And, you know, keep keep going and... Uh, you know, good things in life don't come easy. Right. So, you know, there'll be all sorts of uh, problems, but okay. uh, so sales keep going. One. And uh, seek mentorship, like you mentioned. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the, you know, the quality of the team is, uh, you know, it's about the people. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, the people uh, you know, you're surrounded with, both in terms of, uh, you know, uh, more um, experienced, uh, you know, wise guys. And, but then there's just your management team, the people, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're with you know, mentioned, you know, it's in terms of marketing, right? So that certainly helped uh, a lot. So yeah. you know, when you but getting the right sales people on board, because as an entrepreneur, you can't be the only guy driving right. sales, right? If you want to scale. So uh, maybe so, I've got a distorted view because I'm an engineer. But I would say, you know, fund your growth through sales would be my number one recommendation. Perfect. And raising Perfect. funding is option B to grow yeah. faster. And what is your sales revenue 2018? Uh, that is public. That was in the press release. That was a little over 26 million Canadian. 26 million. Okay, excellent. Yeah. So to wrap up our interview, uh, I have, this is my favorite part, Mindpreneur Trivia. Downtown Toronto or downtown Montreal? Downtown Montreal is my, okay. my home. Dominican Republic or Whistler, BC for vacation or your favorite vacation place? Oof. My favorite vacation place are national parks in Canada. National parks. Cool. PC or Mac? Uh, I'm a Mac boy. So who's going to win Stanley Cup this year? Uh, you know what? Um, I'm not sure. I really don't know, honestly. Take a guess. Uh... Come on. Capitals. Capitals. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, I think that was uh, very fun. That concludes our uh, interview. And thanks very much, Alex. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>